Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, after all the drama, all the snubs, all the debate, four teams will meet on the field on New Year's Day to settle once and for all. Maybe who is the undisputed national champion of 2023? We're going to break all of it down right here on the Three Technique. One man. Goodbye. Hello. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. I give it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20. All the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. Four-man Alabama rush. Got him. No, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. How about that? Well, how's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Three Technique. After a brief holiday hiatus, we are all three back together again, ready to break down the last few college football games of the 2023 season. I'm joined by Mitch Mason. I'm joined by Garrett Turney on his birthday, putting in the hours as we are recording this on the 28th. Happy birthday, Garrett. Hope you guys have enjoyed your holiday festivities. I have to keep reminding myself it is Thursday. How are you guys feeling as we are in the doldrums of this week between Christmas and New Year's? Is there any birthday wisdom you'd like to share with us here? Well, let me tell you what. Uh, turning 28 uh, does a thing for a man. It gives him a lot of wisdom and perspective. So uh, I, I have some things to say about you know football today that maybe contradict what y'all have to say. And I'd just like to remind the audience of my advanced wisdom and knowledge due to my much, much greater amount of time on this earth. Uh, than, than the two of you. No, there's no other way. I'd rather be spending it. Love doing this. This is a lot of fun. So glad to be hanging out. Appreciate the uh, appreciate the birthday wishes. I, I gotta say, the one thing I love about it, you know, birthday being between Christmas and New Year's, everything's kind of quiet. Nobody really wants to go out, so you can kind of get a table wherever you want to because everyone's yeah. like, I just did everything for Christmas, you know, and then we're moving on towards New Year's. So I'm kind of waiting and saving up for that one. It's kind of nice. You get to hang out, do whatever you want. Yeah, everybody's at home eating leftovers. You're out at your favorite restaurants, favorite establishment. So, oh yeah, it's nice. Couldn't be better. And there's not a Texas A&M game on the 28th this year. So, <laughs> thank the right. Lord, we got that one out of the way last. Got night. it out of the way last night. So, <laughs> uh, fellas, this is good. This is one of the most fun times of the year to break down. I'm only hoping that we can have an encore to last year's semifinal day. Um, New Year's Six Bowl games coming up as well. We got a lot to talk about on this episode. Before we jump in, though, I do want to remind everybody that we are brought to you by the Transfer Portal CFB, our partners over there at the Transfer Portal. They are heating up the content even as the offseason inches closer and closer. We've got NFL Draft. We've got uh, Transfer Portal, the real Transfer Portal to break down. We've got another National Signing Day coming up relatively soon. It is going to be a jam-packed content season over there. Make sure that you're following along. Make sure that you're following all of the great written and video content that's coming out of the Transfer Portal CFB. And we're also, of course, brought to you by our friends at Home Field Apparel. The holidays may be over, but it's still a great time to rep your favorite team with a classic design from Home Field. Hoodies, t-shirts, bomber jackets, stickers. They have all kinds of things. If your special someone didn't quite hit the mark on your holiday list, you can take care of yourself over at Home Field. Use code 3TECHPOD for 15% off your first order. 
or uh, use the link in our Twitter bio to uh, take care of that. If you are a repeat customer, fellas, we've paid the bills. It's time to jump in. And I know, like I said off the top, there was a bunch of debate. There was a bunch of hoopla about who got in, who got left out of this college football playoff. Now that we have the four teams on the field, you guys have dove into your research. You guys have prepped for this preview pod. Have your feelings changed at all about this four-team playoff as we're right on the cusp of the games actually being played? I It, it needs to be 12, right? Four just feels... Four feels way too small. I think not necessarily in determining a national champion because we've hit that slant already. Um, and, and I'm not here to rehash that. But as far as meaningful football being played on New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, um, it's it's a little thin this year, guys. I mean, we're going to get into it. Like the, the Orange Bowl has over 40 opt-outs on, on both sides of the ball. Um, that that game will not be a meaningful football game for either program. E- even the winner, I don't think, will really be able to uh, do much with that other than put a trophy in their trophy case. And, you know, the guys that show up, uh, you know, I hope they celebrate the heck out of these bowl wins because it clearly means something to them. But overall, it feels like on the doorstep of this 12-team playoff, if you didn't make it into the, the playoff, or you aren't a six and six team trying to get to a winning record, it really feels like a bowl game doesn't didn't matter this year, and that's unfortunate because weird team. There aren't too many bowl games. Uh, we've we've fought against that rising tide that these are meaningless games. I still believe that um, by and large they mean quite a bit to the coaching staffs, to the players that play, and to the programs, but. For the New Year's Six Bowl games, for the guys that and the teams that are the bridesmaids, not the bride this year, it's just maybe more underwhelming than it has ever been. Yeah, I, I think long term this gets fixed because of the playoff expanding, right? I think you start to you know rope in all the other New Year's Six Bowls into that, and you know obviously there will be you know the rotation and everything still, but I, I do think kind of the the group that'll end up getting left out is sort of that mid to upper tier bowl game. The the lower tier bowl games this year have been pretty fantastic because the teams getting into it are, you know, G5 teams this is their first bowl game ever or, you know, maybe a G5 power that's been going or it's, you know, a sort of a regional thing, you know, where you see like a, you know, with the Minnesota Bowling Green, that whole deal. That was kind of a regional thing where there's probably a lot of people that have, you know, friends and ties to similar schools in in the Midwest and so you know, kind of, kind of a cool, uh, I guess, situation there with, with a lot of these smaller bowl games. But I think you guys are right. The mid-tier and the upper-tier bowl games, I mean, we just saw it, you know, firsthand for ourselves with all the opt-outs and all the injuries that happened with AM in the Texas Bowl. It, it was just hard to kind of watch that and think that this was AM's best effort. And, and, you know, you see, like, it, it ended up being a pretty tight, pretty close game. Just hard to kind of watch that and think, like, what could have happened if there was a better effort? You know, obviously injuries aside – you know, all the guys opting out, all the guys already hitting the transfer portal, you know, maybe the early window for the transfer portal is the problem. Maybe there's, you know, I, I don't know what the deal is, right? I, I don't know exactly what it is. We'll have to probably break that down way more in the off season. but those mid to upper tier bowl games, you guys are right. Like they're not the ones to watch anymore. It's the, the avocados from Mexico cure bowl is the fun one to watch. We got to watch that one again and, and go back and break that down. So it's, I, I don't know what the solution is, but we'll see kind of going forward if that can get fixed, getting more meaningful games, you know, middle to late December with the expanded playoff. Yeah, th- these bowl games have gotten more and more wacky for sure. And that's created a very interesting television product. Maybe not the best possible teams on the field. But of course, as we shift into an expanded playoff, it's going to be fascinating to see how that affects opt outs, how that affects the transfer portal. Fewer guys are going to be opting out, I think, of a college football quarterfinal or something along those lines or first round game. So with all that being said, there are two massive games on the docket on New Year's Day, as they should be for the college football playoff semifinals. Guys, we're going to break those down first and foremost. We will talk about the other New Year's six games, as both Mitch and Garrett mentioned. But we got to not bury the lead here. Let's start with the college football playoff. And we're going to start with the Rose Bowl game presented by Prudential, of course, with the San Gabriel Mountains in the background at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. It's number four, Alabama, 
versus number one, Michigan. Michigan entering this one at recording as one and a half point favorites. Last meeting between these two was in the Citrus Bowl following the 2019 season. It was a 35 to 16 Alabama win. And guys, this one just feels like a big time matchup that we want to see in a college football playoff semifinal for all the hoopla over Alabama getting in, getting that last spot over Florida state. This feels like the matchup that people want to see, right? Like this is going to be, you know, maybe a ratings record breaker for the college football playoff semifinals um, on new year's day in the Rose Bowl. just everything that you could ask for two marquee brands. This is going to be a fascinating matchup to watch. And before we dive into it, I do want to point out, like, we are going to take a little bit different perspective for this preview. We think you guys know the names. We think you guys know you can research the stats for yourself. We might throw those in there every now and then. But we want to talk about where each of these four teams has the edge and where they should be concerned as we enter this four-team semifinal matchup. So, Alabama, let's start with the lower-ranked team here in Alabama. We know their season story, one loss to Texas way, way back on week two. And since then, they've been a completely different team, right? They have gotten over the hump. They have figured out their offensive identity. They have figured out how to stop teams on the defensive side of the ball. Garrett, where do you see the edge for Alabama in this game as they line up against Michigan? Well, I think Alabama's first and you know final opportunity here just rest with Jalen Milrow right Jalen Milrow is the guy uh he's he's really turned it around back half of the season uh re- really performing a lot better than he was beginning of the season he's completed 65 percent of his passes on the year 2700 yards 23 touchdowns six interceptions dude's an athlete right and, and he's probably one of the best quarterbacks if not the best quarterback that that Michigan will have played all year right there's probably not a better quarterback all year that's been on the schedule and especially with what he's able to do extending the play you know kind of taking away some of those first chance second chance third chance and and, you know being able to take that away from Alabama will be Michigan's key here because Jalen Milrow does that so well right He, he does it so well just getting outside the pocket and and you know threatening with the legs threatening to you know throw it downfield or you know, something he's progressed at a lot this year. And one of the things that we highlighted on the reaction stream all the way back at the beginning of the month, he's developed as a passer in what has been, I think, one of the best coaching jobs at Alabama in a long time. He's developed so well into a passer who can sit in the pocket, deliver accurate throws. Uh, You know, if if he's given, you know, 10, 15 seconds of play clock uh, to sit in the pocket and dance around like he did at Auburn, he can, you know, drop a dime in the back of the end zone and, and crush your souls. So, you know, like let's just face it, Jalen Milrow beginning of the season wasn't a very good quarterback, but his progression through the year, com- combination, you know, with that and and what he's been able to do athletically, who he is as a gifted athlete, this is going to stretch the Michigan defense, one of the better defenses in the country, still going to stretch them, and and I think that's going to be kind of where the rub is in this game. The concern for Alabama, though, on the same side of the football, because you know this is a different Alabama team than the ones we've seen in the past under Nick Saban. Different offensive identity, different play caller. Same level of athlete, though. Same level of talent. Maybe not as experienced, maybe not as dominant at certain positions, but on paper, it's the same level of athlete where they've really fallen short this year of previous teams under Nick Saban as the offensive line. It's been really inconsistent this year. They rank 115th nationally in sacks allowed per game, uh, over three Uh, three and a quarter per game sacks allowed. And we've seen that time and time again this year, A&M, Tennessee, Auburn, Georgia, elite defensive lines, no doubt. But when that defensive line talent is substantial, when it's a competent pass rush, this Alabama offensive line has really struggled in Michigan. They're not as elite as they have been in previous years. You know, when they've had the Aiden Hutchinson's of the world on that defensive line, but they're still more than respectable. They're top 40 in the uh, country in sacks generated per game. And they can definitely get after the quarterback with the best of them. They haven't really had to as much this year. They haven't really been in the situations where they need to blitz, where they're facing you know, a passing attack, where they need to really pin their ears back and go after the quarterback. So I'm really interested to see how after a month of game planning, Alabama kind of schemes around that. We've seen them be able to scheme around that. We've seen in-game adjustments all year. 
can they come out of the gate in this Rose Bowl with a game plan that's going to attack Michigan? And can Michigan adjust? I think that's going to be a fascinating matchup to watch. Mitch, as we look over on the other side of the field, we've hinted at it a little bit, but where do you see the biggest edge for Michigan in this matchup? Well, it's definitely their defense, right? I mean, Michigan's defense has smothered the opponent's offense all season long. And listen, you can make the case that maybe they haven't played the the most aggressive offenses, the the best and most well-oiled machines. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, Michigan is taking care of business in a dominating fashion, no matter who is on the schedule. It's not their fault that Penn State forgot how to throw a forward pass this season and complete that. It's not their fault that Ohio State uh, was not in the hands of an elite quarterback this year, right? But every single game that they teed it up, they made the passer uncomfortable, they stopped the run, and they forced turnovers. And for me, I look at a critical stat for key games, games where everything is on the line, third down conversions. Michigan's allowing their opponents to convert less than a third of the time, just over 30% of the time or is their opponent getting a first down. So, you know, for me, I look at what their secondary has been able to do. You mentioned their pass rush, not elite, right? Not the Aiden Hutchinson's of the world, but it's been good enough. And there is no doubt that this challenge for Nick Saban and Jalen Milrow is one of, if not the stoutest test that they're going to face all year. I think the best defensive line they faced was Texas in week two, but I think the best total defense certainly will be on the field in Pasadena, Uh, this new year's day for the concern for michigan i mean on the field they've been fantastic this year they're beating opponents by an average of 25 points per game they're allowing fewer than 10 per game on the defensive side of the ball the offense gets enough done right jj mccarthy moves the ball down the field the running backs are fantastic they get it done on offense and they haven't played a lot of games where they've needed to light up the scoreboard they're just kind of doing what they need to do But the concern, if you're a Michigan fan, I think has to come from the history, right? Just every time. It seems like every time they get in one of these big games, they've struggled in out-of-conference matchups. They haven't really played a big dog out of conference in the regular season the last couple of years. In their last four matchups with SEC competition, they're 0-4 and have lost by an average of 18.75 points. So, History is not on the side of the Wolverines, but what might be on their side is kind of the last dance element, right? Like that last Michael Jordan Bulls team where they just kind of had the will to win. The world was against them and they put their heads down and just played for their coach, right? I think they've really bought into that narrative that they are the victim and they are, you know, the hunted in this scenario. So if not now for Michigan, might not ever be in the modern college football era. They're going to keep recruiting Who knows what's going to happen with Harbaugh after this year, but it's really starting to seem like there's that last dance vibe. But guys, we've broken it down. Who are you taking to win this game outright on the field and advance to the national championship? Well, I've got one quick question for the birthday boy before we get into that. And maybe, maybe Garrett, you can go first and weave this in if you'd like. Are you concerned at all that it seems like maybe some more coaching dominoes are getting ready to fall with the Chargers job being open, Harbaugh having a lot of behind-the-scenes interest in that, and then LSU might fall apart if Brian Kelly leaves. Like That's a lot that's kind of bubbling under the surface. I think Trey set it up really nicely with the last dance element, but if your coach is, is leaving to take another job, it's not like he's retiring. Is that? Do you think that's going to factor in at all? So, look, I, I'll – Go ahead and tell you, I think Michigan wins this game. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to start with that. I don't think it factors in. That's a conversation for Harbaugh's agent. That's a conversation for True. that. Jim Harbaugh's not thinking about that right now. He he will think about that at the end of the season. And this is also a narrative that, and I'm going to speak to some of my Michigan fans out there with this one. Michigan fans are so tired of hearing this every single year. Oh, Harbaugh's leaving this year for sure. I heard this job's opening up. He really wants to be the next coach of the Detroit Lions. He, oh boy, here come the Chargers. Like at some point, I'm sure he's going to take the job. It'll probably be this offseason so he can avoid the NCAA sanctions coming from the whole Stallions thing. <laughs> but at the same time, like I, I don't think that this is going to factor into Michigan's play. The, the last couple of years have not been good for Michigan in the playoffs, right? A couple of years ago, they were outmatched by a Georgia team that was frankly better than them. Right, they they had the one of the best defenses of all time, real team of destiny thing going on there. They they you know Georgia seemed unbeatable all year. They they ended up pulling it off. Right, 
Last year, it was TCU. That was a team of destiny right there. And that was just a matchup nightmare, right? It was a speed versus, you know, kind of a clunky sort of thing. And they really just couldn't overcome that. I will say that there were a couple of calls I think Michigan fans wish would have gone the other way that would have put them in the national championship game. But again, neither here nor there. Michigan's the better team. But I, I, I understand Alabama beat Georgia. That happened. Let's not forget that it took a literal miracle to beat the Auburn Tigers a week before that. Like it, That also happened at the back half of the season. Also looking through Alabama's game logs real quick. They had a couple big wins towards the end of the season, but there was a middle part of that season there where they beat AM by six, Arkansas by three, and then they had a really bad half against Tennessee where it looked like Tennessee was about to roll until Tennessee forgot what a football was and just didn't know how to play football at that point. So when you look at the suspect nature of what Alabama has done this year versus Michigan being perfect, not losing a game, they, they beat Maryland by seven, not necessarily super, super impressive. You know, that was end of the season right before uh, they played Ohio state, but they beat Ohio state that they, they took care of business against the Buckeyes. They went and scored, you know, not a, an ungodly number against Iowa, but by the way, Iowa, went into that game number three scoring defense in the country. And Michigan has one of the best defenses, I think, in the entire country. If you had to make me pick just one, it's Michigan's defense is the best in the country right now. And, you know, that's not just because of the experience. It's not just because of the talent. It's because I think there's a hunger on that Michigan side. I think that they just want this, that they want to shut everybody up. The the narrative that I've heard recently more than anything else is that, well, you know, Michigan's going to try to run the ball. They hadn't faced a you know defense like Alabama who can really shut down the run. Michigan gives up like 50 fewer rushing yards a game than Alabama does. I just don't want to hear it. And so for me, I look at this as saying Jalen Milrow is going to have to be next level special to win this game for the Alabama Crimson Tide. I think he's going to put up a great performance. I don't think he's going to get it done. I'm taking Michigan to win this thing by a touchdown. And I think that they're going to take care of business in the Rose Bowl and continue to march on towards the title. I think we have a chance to to have two classics, two all-time classics on our hands. I think the next game that we're going to talk about more on the offensive fireworks side, I think this one could be really special in terms of the defense that we see. But Trey, I think you and I are picking Alabama for a very similar reason, so I'm going to turn it back over to you. But for me, where this comes down to physicality matters, and and I think fit, Michigan is not a is not lacking in physicality, but oh my goodness, Alabama competed and dominated in the trenches so much more than I thought they would against Georgia. For me, coupled with what Saban does in the playoffs, I, I, I will happily be late to the party when someone does knock off Nick Saban, um, but I'm not going to be the guy that that toasts to that first. So I'm going to roll with the tide in this one. Yeah, I've learned my lesson in doubting Nick Saban as well. I'm going to take Alabama in this one, and it's literally because of the coaching job that we've seen this year. We've talked about it ad nauseum on the show, off air, on air. We are just so impressed with what Nick Saban has been able to accomplish with his team and his coaching staff this year when everyone had written them off after that South Florida game. Everybody and their mother was doing victory laps. The dynasty's over. Nick Saban's done. He's washed. He's the product of, you know, his modern success is a product of quarterback play. He turned Jalen Milrow into a Heisman caliber quarterback down the stretch this year. And, you know, it wasn't just him. It was his coaching staff and it was figuring out. I don't think Michigan's going to have a physicality problem in this game. That's the last thing that I'm worried about with the Wolverines and their style of play. I think they're going to have an athlete problem. And I think Michigan or Michigan's athletes lined up against Alabama's athletes just one for one. Until I see that on the field go in favor of Michigan with a team from the SEC or a team down south, it just hasn't gone well for them in the past. Speed has been an issue, and, you know, this could be the year. But, you know, if you're talking about making me pick this game in a vacuum with what I've seen in history and what I've seen this year, I'm going to take Alabama. Saving 6-1 and one in his career in college football playoff semifinal games. His one loss was to Ezekiel Elliott and Cardell Jones all the way back in the first ever year of the college football playoff. So he's got the track record. He's got the pedigree. I'm going to take him to get one more big win in the semifinal in the Rose Bowl. Uh, I'm going to go one quick warning on this one for the Bama people out here. Okay. And, and I'm not, you know, direct to trend anything, but 
we talk a lot about not reacting to week one or week two. We should also maybe not react or overreact to the championship week either. I know this is the end of the season. I know that this is when teams are supposed to be hitting their peak. I understand all of that. There was 60 minutes where Alabama beat Georgia, and we took them from they have no business being in the playoff and how are they really going to jump all of that to obviously this is one of the best teams in the country. I think we might be overreacting just a little bit to the Alabama Crimson Tide winning against Georgia. That, that was a good win. That was a good win. You can't take it away from them. They played the game. They beat, you know, the, they beat the Georgia Bulldogs. You can't take it away from them. I just I, I think we're overreacting just a little bit to Alabama being in that caliber of team. I don't think we're I, I don't think that was I mean I could be rewriting history that, that way, and that's totally fine. But I think the narrative was more if they can beat Georgia, then they've cemented themselves, but that's kind of like the the final test to prove if they have or they have not, right? Like they had shown yeah. dominance down the stretch other than the Auburn game. And that's rivalry week. Again, we don't want to look at just one game in a vacuum, but rivalry week is crazy. And they had proven outside of that Auburn game that they had, you know, beaten a lot of really good teams and they had shown a dominant stretches down the stretch of the season. I don't think anyone was doubting. I just thought, don't think that they thought Georgia would trip up in the way that they did, but Alabama forced the issue in that game. So it's going to, it's going to be fascinating to see. These are two of the most deserving teams in the country without I, a doubt to use I, the I, playoff buzzword. Yeah, I, no, you're, oh boy, you're right. Like <laughs> SD there. Uh, I think, I think maybe where we left it before the actual announcement was, well, they're eighth. And so we've never seen a team rise the ranks that quickly. Plus the near escape over Auburn. It kind of felt like, maybe folks were penciling in, you know, a two loss Alabama team and they had been mentally eliminated. So I do think Garrett's kind of right. Like I, I think, I think there are, I think both, both sides of this debate have, have their fair case. Like, have they proven that they're one of the best teams in the country? Like, yes. But also were we literally 15 seconds away from this, not even being a discussion also, well, yes, right. The, the point I'm saying is when we got those playoff rankings and Alabama was sitting at eight, nobody mm -hmm. had an issue with that. No, I, I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember a single That's talking fair. head anywhere. Well, saying, there was a long no, Alabama is actually one of the better teams. We really got to consider how they're going to make the playoff there. I mean, we had written them off. Georgia's going to win the whole thing. And so they're going to be the yeah. one seed, obviously. And I understand That's like fair. Georgia slips. So that's like, obviously you're done, but like, I, I'm just still saying I don't think anybody's like, well, I think Bama should be like six or something because they look better than Texas or they look better than, yeah. you know, one of the other teams. Nobody was – everyone was complaining about Florida State probably should have deserved it because they were, you know, undefeated or, you know, they were complaining about maybe Texas being underrated and kind of getting put in that unfair spot or that maybe Ohio State was overrated because they lost a game. But nobody was really complaining about Bama being eight, and I think it's because we all kind of just knew – this really isn't the same kind of Bama team we're used to seeing. This really isn't that dominant Bama team where you look up and down the roster and you see those dogs, right? It's still a very good Alabama team. They're still coached by the greatest coach to ever coach the game. But at the same time, like this, like Trey Burton is not Amari Cooper, right? Like, or Jermaine Burton, not Trey Burton, Jermaine Burton. But like, <laughs> like Trey Burton's a different Burton guy. Not either. <laughs> no, like he is not, he's not Amari Cooper. No, but Jermaine Burton is not Amari Cooper. He's not you know, any of these top end receivers that have been coming out of it. He's not Jalen Waddle. Like he's just not yeah. that guy. And none of their running backs are Derrick Henry, Mark Ingram, like any of those dudes. And like, that's not to shade any of those dudes. They're just not there in their development yet. And, and so for me, when I look at this, I'm saying this is a very good Alabama team. This is a, a talented Alabama team. This is a well-coached Alabama team, but this ain't, you know, five years ago, Alabama, this isn't 10 years ago, Alabama. And so, like, while they're going to compete in this game, they're going to play well, they could end up winning this game. Jalen Milrow has that ability. I just I, – I think we might be slightly overreacting to the whole, oh, but they beat Georgia, so they obviously – obviously they'll beat Michigan. Oh, they're just so much better, so much more talented. I just think that's a little bit of an overstatement for a team in Michigan that, like, hasn't really trailed significantly in that many games, like, so far to this point. They, they've, what, trailed by, like, 7, 10, something like that? Garrett's, yeah. Garrett's going to have a the victory lap of all victory laps if Michigan wins this game. <laughs> well, it, we're and, still... and I'll, I'll take the egg on my face when they lose too. Like, come on, let's do it. 
I love that you lay it all on the line for that. And, you know, with, with another interesting element, just this will be the last thing I say. This is only the fifth time that Nick Saban has been an underdog at Alabama since his first season. <laughs> wow. That's disgusting. I, I believe he's 4-0 in those games that, <laughs> for leading up to this. So lots, lots of narratives, lots of – Do you of, know when the last time was he was an underdog? Like the SEC Championship. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, duh. Okay. Anyways. Or that. <laughs> last game. <laughs> yeah. The last game played, yeah. All the way back at the beginning of this month. Uh, but before that, I believe it was – it might have been 2019 LSU. I, I could be misremembering that, but it, it's been. Well, they would have, if he's four and zero, they lost 2019 LSU. So they would have... Yeah, they did. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's I guess right. that wouldn't have been it. I got to bring back. We need a research assistant on the side to to look up and fact check this. But Jamie, pull that up. Yeah, it, it is if, a rare. If the audience experience. wants us to have these numbers in real time, you know, subscribe. You know, help us out. Exactly. If you'll keep the support going. We can get a guy who can. Uh, Look this up in the middle of the pod. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll look that up in the background and maybe we'll have that by the end of the show. But we're going to be treated to a fantastic Rose Bowl. We're also, maybe in a different way, going to be treated to a fantastic Sugar Bowl, I believe, as the other side of the bracket heads up. Look, Washington doesn't have any concerns, guys. They're just going to win this one going away. Um, no, just kidding. Uh Washington versus Texas in the All-State Sugar Bowl. Sorry, again. I know you uh, no, had to wait on me to finish the That's, that's a oopsie in the graphics department. They're, they're, don't worry, guys. There's plenty of concerns in the Washington <laughs> camp. It's really <laughs> my fault team. because I didn't finish the notes in a timely manner. But uh, the three, t- uh, the All-State Sugar Bowl, number three, Washington, number, or number three, Texas, number two, Washington, in New Orleans, New Year's night, 7.45 p.m. on ESPN. Texas all the way up to a four-point favorite in this game. I believe it opened at about two and a half. Um, over under at 63 and a half in this one. So a lot of points expected down in NOLA. This, of course, is a rematch of last year's Alamo Bowl where Washington won 27 to 20 in San Antonio. And guys, this one, I'm expecting a lot of points. I just want to take it in. This is a fantastic meeting of offensive minds, right? Steve Sarkeesian, Kalen DeBoer, two of the best offensive minds in the game right now going head-to-head. They both have you know interesting defenses as well. But for me, Texas has the biggest edge in Steve Sarkeesian's ability to game plan. Over and over and over, you see that he can exploit a defense's weakness or weaknesses and just really use that to his advantage. We saw that against Oklahoma State. We saw that in plain sight on Black Friday against Texas Tech. He can do it to the best of them, right? We saw it against Alabama in Tuscaloosa week one, uh, week two. So Steve Sarkeesian just, you know, taking a step back and thinking about his redemption arc. Garrett, I know we were talking before the show and uh, just how much we should appreciate that redemption arc. Yeah, no, I, it's it's kind of incredible to see what he's been able to do to, you know, kind of, create this resurgence in his career. I know one of the funny things is, you know, a lot of the critiques of him before he came to Texas was that he had never had a very good season at any of his previous stops. And well, that could go out the window officially because this was a heck of a year for Texas. Texas is officially back, put it on the map. Um, They're all the way back. They're all the way here. Uh, They're competing for a championship. So for me, when I look at this, I think, you know, what he's able to do offensively, what he's been able to learn and, and work on through his career. I know there was some speculation well, is, is he going to do well after he leaves Alabama with all that talent? But the answer is yes. Like there's there's certainly talent on that Texas roster, but he has, I think he has created more success than just the talent at Texas has created by out-talenting the other teams on the field. He's done a, he's done a really good job putting people in, in a position to win, scheming up plays. Uh, you know, as a fan of a team who doesn't necessarily like the Longhorns, it's a lot of fun to watch them play football and offense and just. You, know, you see a play design, you see someone spring open and they, you know, easy pass. There's plenty of green in front of them. And you're like, wow, that was pretty. That was really cool. Uh, and so, you know, just as a football appreciator, I love watching what Steve Sarkeesian can put up. And I think he's going to have plenty of success against this Washington defense. 
Well, Mitch, as we look at maybe concerns for the Longhorns, there's certainly talent across the board on this roster. One of the most talented teams in the country, by far the most talented team that Washington will have faced this year. But there is one big glaring concern for the Longhorns in this matchup. Yeah, it's pass defense, right? Uh, if you're going to get to the horns this year, it's it's through the air. Um, and a uh, little teaser for our interview with Sam Kahn Jr., senior writer at The Athletic, the tech expert. Uh, that'll be Sunday morning. Uh, that should be coming out, previewing the Sugar Bowl. It, we really go in, in depth on this matchup. So, um, you know, stay tuned for that. Sam's key, if you're going to beat the Longhorns, is you throw it down the middle. Right. Um, you attack the safeties, you attack the the nickel and you make those corners make plays one on one in man coverage. Washington's literally the best team in the country at doing that. Right. With Odunze, with Polk, with McMillan uh, and, and Penix slinging it from the quarterback spot. So if Texas is going to lose this game, I think it's going to be because they can't stop the deep ball. They can't stop the offensive creativity from Ryan Grubb and Kalen DeBoer, um, that without a doubt is what the Longhorns have to have to be ready for. And I think Pete Kwiatkowski, he's got the ace in the hole when it comes to alleviating that pressure, and that's pass rush. That's that's the front four, right? Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy Jr., two of the best defensive tackles in the entire country. Texas has to get pressure on Michael Penix Jr., get him off his spot. Otherwise, it could be, I, I think this game's going to be a track meet anyway, but otherwise it could be extra long for the Longhorns. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's a huge edge for Washington. Flipping over to the other side of the field, though, dare I say the Washington defense might present an interesting edge in this one as well because they've been much maligned this year. I know the numbers do not back up this take when you look at just total yardage, total scoring all that good stuff, but they're very opportunistic. We saw that in the Oregon game at the beginning, they played fantastic complimentary football in the PAC 12 championship game. They, you know, the offense raced down the field, scored a couple touchdowns. The defense got huge stops when they needed to forced a couple of turnovers. They've forced, they've uh, gotten 16 interceptions this year Mm -hmm. Uh, tied for, uh, I think fifth most in the country, ironically tied with the Longhorns. So, it's going to be fascinating to see if they can keep that up. But um, this is also that matchup with the secondary. When we've seen Texas struggle over the past couple of years, it's been when the turnover bug bites them, right? That was their one and their one loss this year to Oklahoma and Red River. Quinn Ewers had two interceptions and he's cleaned that up quite a bit. He's done a great job cleaning that up down the stretch. But against an opportunistic defense like Washington, one or two bad decisions could flip the game in the Huskies' favor. And, of course, the biggest concern for Washington is they're playing by far the best defense they've played this season, right? The most talented defense. Oregon has a fantastic defense. Um, they faced off against a couple plucky ones, Washington State, Oregon State. But this front seven at Texas is built different, guys. And they're deeper, they're more talented, and it's not going to be like anything Washington has tried to compete with this season. So that's my biggest concern for the Huskies as we get into this game. Mitch, I know you've kind of highlighted it right now, but do you have any other big keys for victory for either of these teams? I think uh, both teams need to have a balanced offense in this game, and that's an issue for Washington because they have one of the fewest rushing attempts in the country. Uh, Now, Dylan Johnson can run, when they give him the ball, that offensive line won the Joe Moore award this year, like literally the best offensive line in the country. They just haven't committed to the ground game. That's going to be a real issue in the sugar bowl. If Texas can just pin their ears back and go after the passer, they don't have elite edge rushers right now. Talk to me next season and they're loading up on it. But right now uh, this is a Longhorn team that wins through pure physicality at the line of scrimmage up the middle winning that in the trenches rather than just getting to the passer on the speed rush. Washington has has to to balance that offensive attack out in order to keep Texas on their heels for Texas. Uh, you said it best. Keep keep the ball in your possession. Do not turn it over. Don't give Washington extra possessions. If you do, I think the math starts to uh, starts to go in the Huskies favor pretty quickly. 
Yeah, and again, I th- I'm expecting an all-timer in this one. I'm expecting Same. lots of points to be scored. I would take the over, really similar to that Georgia-Ohio State game. Maybe not how it completely plays out, but really similar to that Georgia-Ohio State and maybe even Michigan-TCU last year where we just had a point bonanza breakout. So, uh, guys, we want to get into predictions. Anything else we want to add before we get into predictions? Or if not, Garrett, we'll start with your prediction, man. Yeah, I'm – I'm really struggling going back and forth, but I think you make a good point. And this was kind of my take for this game is I think this will be when we're done with it. I think this will be the best playoff game we've seen so far. I think this will be better than that Rose Bowl game with the Oklahoma and uh, Georgia going back and forth. I think it'll be better than that. Um, I think this will be by far the best game we've seen. You've got two, I mean, dynamic quarterbacks going at it. Uh, You'll have, you know, two run games that are maybe a little bit hindered, but can run the football. Um, you know, a couple of good defenses. And then for me, when I look at this, I look at who plays what and what the defense specifically does to play against the offense's advantages. Texas is really, really good at stopping the run, but Washington doesn't really rely on the run game when they, when they play football. So I'm not worried about them not running the ball and still finding success. I'm a little bit worried about Texas if they turn the ball over, right? If they can, if they, can continue to you know be consistent and continue to do what they've done you know more recently against some bad teams right no, I don't think Oklahoma State or Texas Tech would qualify as elite competition um, but if they can continue to throw the football like that no problem but if they go back to the kind of turnover bug the inconsistencies of kind of the earlier parts of the season um, or I guess kind of that middle part when Quinn was coming back from injury and everything it could be a concern for me for me I think both teams are going to play really really well I think it's going to be a shootout back and forth. At the end of the day, for me, Washington is clutch. Washington has shown that they will win the clutch game time and time again. Even when they put a bad performance out there, even when the other team figures out their weaknesses, even when you know the other team seems to know exactly how to beat them, there's just that one drive at the end. There's just that one little thing, that one key play. They get in the other team's head somehow, and you know, they force Oregon to go for it on multiple fourth downs and somehow stop them. Uh, they, they, you know – pull the reverse against Washington State. They do They do what they do. This is what Washington is. They're just a clutch team. So if you're asking me who's going to win this game, you give me 30 seconds and Michael Penix, I think I'm good with that. So I'm going to take Washington to win this one, walk-off field goal. You could see both scores in the 50s type of thing. 52-51 could be the final score. But I think it's a walk-off field goal for Washington to, to win this one and go on to the championship game. Gosh, I hope so. I hope we get that classic. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be, I I really do think we will. I think we're going to get a fantastic one. Mitch, what do you think in prediction wise? Well, similarly to what, well, I guess it's the other side of the coin. I want to be late to the party betting against Nick Saban. And listen, I have a couple times this year said, this is the one Washington has been awesome but this is the one where Oregon finally gets them, where Oregon State gets them at home. And I've been wrong every single time. And tip of the cap to the Huskies. Um, you know, I was a big fan of, of Penix Jr. and Odunze coming into the season. I thought Odunze really had a great chance to win the Blitnikoff Award. I don't think he got enough credit for what he did up in Washington this season. But I'm going to be late to this party one more time. I think Texas is the more complete team on both sides of the football, including in the trenches. Offensive line edge goes to Washington, but the defensive line edge goes to Texas. And I think if the Longhorns can disrupt what Washington does so well, which is get the quick passes out and then take their shots deep, if they can disrupt that timing and not allow Penix Jr. to find his weapons down the field, I think Texas has more ways to score consistently than the deep ball, than only going through the air. It's a big test, don't get me wrong, and I think we're all aligned that this is going to be an absolute classic. This is going to be, should be one that we remember for a long time. But ultimately, I think in my gut, I've got the Longhorns winning a thriller. I'm right there with you. I'm picking Texas, but with the caveat that they have to keep their foot on the gas, right? We. Sarkeesian was much maligned for his catchphrase when he took over all gas, no brakes. But, you know, 
that's been their bugaboo this year. That's what's almost gotten them is taking their foot off the gas. They've mm-hmm. raced out to hot starts time and time again, just taking their foot off the gas. If they do that against Washington, they will lose this game because Washington will take advantage right. of it. And almost all of Washington's big games this year have come down to one or two plays. They find a way to make those plays. The Huskies do time and time again. Texas at times this year, they found a way to win, but those big pivotal plays have typically not gone the Longhorns favor this year. Again, I'm picking them to win. I think their talent level up and down the roster wins out in this game. I think it's a thriller taking Washington to cover. I think it's also a walk-off field goal type situation, last possession score type situation, but they have to execute at all points in this game. If they don't, Washington and Michael Penix will 100% take advantage. Uh, guys, any final thoughts on this one? Are we ready to move on to the New Year's Six? Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. Okay, so as we mentioned off the top, there are a lot of storylines in these New Year's Six games. Most of them are off the field. Most of them have to do with opt-outs, transfer portals, but we do want to try to give you the storylines on the field as well. We know you're still trying to get those final points in your confidence pick them. So uh, make sure that you're following along with that as well. Don't listen to me. Maybe I've, I've not had the best uh, start in this one. <laughs> you, but I'm still had top, some big wins. I'm still 80th percentile guys. I've had, I've there had go. some good, some good dubs along with the hey, train knows but, ball. Okay. Listen to Trey. Trey knows ball sometimes, except when he doesn't. So <laughs> listen to me at your own risk. I'm going to try to run down uh, some confidence points thoughts on this one as well, but Let's do the New Year's Six in order, guys. First and foremost, Friday, December 29th, 7 p.m., right down the street from us here in Arlington, Texas. We've got the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic. It's Missouri at 10-2 and against Ohio State at 11-1. The Buckeyes currently three-and-a-half-point favorites as we sit here a day before the game. There's a lot of potential, potential and actual opt-outs in this one. I'll get kind of hit the highlights for this one right here. Missouri really has kept everyone mostly intact. All of their key players will should be playing in this one. But for Ohio State, they, of course, famously lost Kyle McCord in the transfer portal. It looks like Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be opting out. Michael Hall, the defensive tackle, is going to be opted out as well. And, you know, Devin Brown, it's his time to shine and show what he can do in this offense. So, Guys, as you look into the storylines here, of course, Missouri could win 11 games for the first time in 10 years. They have their top trio, especially uh, their star running back. Uh, Cody Schrader is going to get his last game as a college player. This should be a fun one. I think there should be a lot of points scored. Where are we leaning in the actual result? I I think I'm going Missouri, but very tentatively, right? Ohio State's offense could be opted out, but Missouri, on the other hand, is going to be missing two key players. Uh, Ennis Rakestraw, their best corner, um, has said that he will not play in the bowl game. He's going to focus on the draft. He's, uh, I think, a day two guy. Um, as of right now, I, I know um, some of the draft guys were, were tweeting about him earlier. And then Tyron Hopper, who's one of their in, uh, starting linebackers, he's injured, so he'll miss this game as well. Other than that, though, like you said, the Tigers are pretty healthy, pretty complete on both sides of the ball. Um, I, I just worry about too much inconsistency for Ohio State. It's not like that offense was electric beforehand outside of Marvin Harrison Jr. He hasn't officially opted out, but the last report we had, he wasn't practicing. So, I mean, you know, you do that math in your head. I'm, I'd be shocked if he suits up um, for the Cotton Bowl. So, I just think in in a situation like this, when you have so many opt-outs on one side and not very many on the other, I think you got to go with the more complete roster. And hey, Missouri wants this, right? Ohio State, this is maybe not the the bowl game that they were hoping to be playing in. Missouri will absolutely take an 11-win season. Yeah, I think you're pretty much onto that, Mitch. It's Missouri being motivated. It's Missouri actually wanting to play this game and win this game. It's Missouri having their whole roster. Ohio State's the better team when they show up. But, you know, I'll I'll go with a little bit of a sort of foreshadowing thing. Their social media account said that they showed up for a big match in the desert. Um, I I don't know where Ohio State went, but if their team's, you know, social media is any indication, they will not be showing up to the Cotton Bowl. Um, and I think that's kind of a, I think that's kind of some deadly foreshadowing here. 
I don't think they show up. I think this is going to be really, really similar to a couple of years ago when Florida had their entire team opt out and it was just like Kyle Trask versus the world. I think it's going to be a kind of similar type of game where it's, you know, Florida full strength would have won that game. I, I don't know. I just don't think that Ohio State's going to have the dogs left on the team to to want to do this and, and end up playing this game. It'll probably still end up being close. I don't think that Missouri's going to run away with this thing, but I think they'll be able to kind of get out in front, control it, and win this game, maybe seven to ten points, something like that. It reminds me a little bit more, actually, of the Rose Bowl a couple of years ago where Ohio State had a bunch of opt-outs. Mm-hmm. You, they had the clear talent advantage over Utah, and it was a really fun back-and-forth game, but the talent just won out. Um, on the Ohio State side. I think it swings the other way this year, though. There's more opt-outs this year for Ohio State. Mizzou, I think, has more dynamic playmakers that can cause problems than that Utah team did. That Utah team was fantastic. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But um, I think Mizzou, you know, like, who's going to cover Luther Burton? Who's going to stop that ground game? I think Mizzou has too many weapons. I'm going to take them to cover the spread at the very least. I'll take them to win outright as well and put about 15 confidence points on that one. Let's keep moving on here with the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. It's Saturday, December 30th at 11 a.m. in Atlanta. We've got Ole Miss at 10 and 2 taking on Penn State at 10 and 2. Penn State four and a half point favorites. And for me, guys, this one comes down to which coach can break their big game narrative. Couple stats for you. Lane Kiffin has two wins in his entire head coaching career over power five teams that won nine plus games. James Franklin is 12 and 25 versus top 10 teams. If you want to look at top 10, which Ole Miss, you know, number 11 right there on the fringe in the rankings in this one, three and 17 in his career at Penn State against top 10 teams. That's a lot of games against top 10. That is top. Uh, the stat on the screen: uh, twelve and twenty-five versus top twenty-five. He is three and seventeen okay. against top ten. So okay, cool. I want to make sure I was good. On, I was like twelve and twenty-five against the top ten. <laughs> yeah, this guy's had some brutal insane, luck. Man. No, I don't think anyone <laughs> could fault him for that if it was top ten. But three and seventeen against the top ten, twelve and twenty-five against the top twenty-five. This is a classic unstoppable force versus immovable object game. Penn State, number one in total defense, giving up 223.2 yards per game. Ole Miss, number 15 in total offense, 455.4. Where, where's our leaning in this one, guys? I the, the last game that we have to really compare what this might look like for Ole Miss is the Georgia game, and they got blown off the ball. I mean, physically, they were decimated by the Bulldogs. Now, I know it was on the road. It was a true home game for Georgia, so it's not apples to apples exactly, but I'm really concerned about Penn State's offense. Um, They've got more opt-outs on the defensive side, like Chop Robinson's not going to play in this game. I'm really concerned about... Ole Miss's defense has been much improved this season. Are they elite by any stretch of the imagination? No, not exactly, but you're asking me to pick, do I think Ole Miss scores more times than not against an elite defense, or do I think Penn State's offense scores more times uh, than not against Ole Miss's defense? I I think I got to lean the offensive side in this ballgame. Uh, Ole Miss has some transfers on that side of the ball. Spencer Sanders is academically ineligible. What a disastrous end to his career. At Ole Miss. Um, I mean, no offense to anybody who went to Ole Miss, but – He's fair. Come on. That that yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> well, and at at best, I think he was getting a certificate. Maybe maybe it was a graduate degree, but I mean, he's this, graduate. This isn't necessarily apples to apples, but Mississippi is the fiftieth ranked state in the union in education. <laughs> I'm not trying to like. I'm really not trying to be mean. What's Oklahoma? Because <laughs> they might be number fifty. <laughs> it shocked me too. I found that out recently. But like, they're pass a class, Spencer. Come on. Well, it was, I know it was academic issues that kept him really from staying at Oklahoma State. So yeah. anyway, uh, not not to bash Spencer Sanders, but I'm sure that'll um, look great on an NFL draft interview. All right. The Wonderlick test is, is going to be tough for How that. How do you get guy. a negative score on the Wonderlick? Uh, Ole Miss. I'm going to, I'll wrap it up. Ole Miss. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm kind of rocking with Ole Miss as well. I kind of hate it because if you're just asking me, like, I saw this tweet earlier, it was like, who would you rather play for? 
Lane Kiffin or James Franklin. I'd much rather play for James Franklin, but yeah, Lane kind of gets the results and it hurts me to say it because I don't really like him as a person, but he just, he gets results. He seems to win. He seems to get the most out of his teams. And, you know, I know that he hasn't quite reached that top peak in the SEC. I can't really blame him for that. Bama and Georgia are two very good football teams and, you know, LSU has been in there as well. So look, Ole Miss is playing the game in the SEC and they're winning more than they're not winning. I think I'm going to keep rocking with them. I'm going to pick Quinshawn Jenkins to have a really good game against a good running defense. This is a very good running defense for Penn State, but I still think Quinshawn Jenkins is the best running back they're going to have played all year. And I'm going to rock with Ole Miss to, to figure it out on the offensive side, score, you know, 28, 31, somewhere in there. And look, I don't think Penn State's offense is scaring anybody. So, you know, Drew Aller and co., they haven't been bad necessarily, but against some of that top competition, they've disappeared. So I'm, I'm going to take them to disappear once again in the Peach Bowl against Ole Miss. I'm going to take Penn State here, and I'm going to put a relatively high amount of confidence points on them. This line is just speaking to me. No, yeah, you got to say, what, what is it saying? Listen, the this line is saying I, it's bowl season, and the lines are made <laughs> up, and the points don't matter. There but, we go. I, I just don't know, you know, I'm going to lean where I don't think the line should be that high. And so Vegas must know something. I'm going to take Penn State to cover and win this game. Next up on the list, we've got the Capital One Orange Bowl Saturday night, December 30th, Saturday afternoon, excuse me, December 30th, 3 p.m. in Miami. It's the 12-1 and Georgia Bulldogs versus the Florida 13-0, infamously 13-0 Florida State Seminoles. Guys, we could call this the snub bowl. We could call this the opt-out bowl. We could call this a lot of different things. It is not going to be the two teams we saw in the regular season. You know, snub bowl, if you want to go that narrative, Florida State, of course, was the first and only undefeated Power 5 team to be left out of the 14 playoff. We've beat that dead horse. We can move on from that. And Georgia's hopes of a 3 P ultimately hinged on just one game in Atlanta. So, Guys, I, I have no real leaning on the spread in this game. It's currently at 20 points in favor of Georgia. It will be the third stringer for Florida State as Bachmeyer is in the transfer portal. It looks like he's not going to play. It's defense is decimated as well. Uh, Got to lean with the talent, at least in the straight-up picking, right? I don't think we're going to have any controversy in Florida State claiming a national championship. No, very weird situation with tate rodemaker not not hank bachmeyer just that's my bad yeah i don't know if, why if bachmeyer was playing in this game that'd be an interesting turn uh, bachmeyer. bachmeyer out of my brain in this one but it's you know last name he did transfer again so you're you know weirder you're, you're things right. have happened than former boise state and louisiana tech quarterback hank bachmeyer randomly showing up in a bowl game so that's yes correct that's florida uh, state's uh, desperate is what i'm yeah, saying so. Tate Rodemaker, strangely, I think he was. I think he was in line to start this as long as he was. He was, healthy. yeah. It yeah. was a concussion, and, so he he would have been playing. And he just said deuces, I'm I'm out. So yeah, very very strange. I hate I hate that. That is what I hate most about this portaling is that guys leave their teams at the altar, even in a bowl game where they don't really care to be there. Um, but Florida State is down everybody i mean you know listen i i've been a big proponent of holding my Knowles coin um we we definitely have taken healthy profits as we've gone along and um you know i i right now i'm thrilled that uh, the majority of that balance i think has been put into the barn because folks are bailing on florida state left and right i think they're going to be really good next year um mm -hmm. but this this one hurt and to have so many guys walk out the door it's going to put the most sour taste, I think, in in Knowles fans' um, memories for sure. So, I think Georgia wins this game, and they could bludgeon the Knowles. I mean, they Kirby Smart could. You talk about rat poison, folks thinking we're going to go seven and five last year as they go undefeated. This could be the ultimate rat poison game for Georgia, and Kirby Smart might have all the backups frothing at the mouth. Yeah, who, who, do we know the third string quarterback in Georgia? Because he's going to get some good playing time here as well. Um, he's True. he'll play a bunch in the second half of this one once they're up by like forty or something like that. It's look, I, I love Florida State. It's been a fun story. I still in my you know in my heart, I believe they should be playing in the playoff. 
I just there's something about me that doesn't feel right leaving the 13 and 0 team out. But I mean, come on, this is not a good effort. This is not a good situation for Florida State. And you know, next year they'll probably be in the playoff, right? The, the expanded playoff, they'll probably make it and they'll get a chance to go and, and back that up. But for now, not very good. Uh, Georgia by a whole bunch, just a whole bunch of points for Georgia. You can put infinity confidence points on it that Georgia's going to win this football game by a bunch. Yeah, and, you know, if they were in the college football playoff, obviously none of these guys that are opting out would have opted out. So right. we'd get a completely different Florida State team. And I really can't fault them. I know in my heart of hearts, I was hoping Florida State would go all in just for the chaos scenario of claiming a championship. But you can't fault Johnny Wilson, Keon Coleman, Jaheim Bell, Trey Benson, Jared Verse, all those guys, like legit NFL prospects that will be hearing their name called in April. So can't fault them for that. If you you look at this graphic that we have, and if I showed you this graphic at the beginning of the season, your only complaint would be, wait, you put Orange Bowl, not Rose Bowl, because this looks like it should have been the playoff matchup between one and four based on where the season started. It's just a real shame that it ended up like this. And and I think that most of us would have liked to have seen full strength Florida State versus full strength Georgia. Absolutely. So, it, yeah, you're right. It is a shame that we will not be getting that full strength matchup. I'm going to take Georgia in this one outright. Not really a lot of doubt in my mind. It's the second highest confidence pick in the bowl confidence pools. Last but certainly not least, we've got the Verbo Fiesta Bowl. New Year's Day, it's your appetizer. New Year's Day morning, if you're sleeping in a little bit, don't sleep in too late. This one starts at noon central, uh, I believe 10 a.m. local time out there in Arizona, so that'll be interesting. But Liberty undefeated 13-0, facing off against 11-2 Oregon, whose two losses, of course, both came to undefeated Washington, who's in the Sugar Bowl. This is Bo Nix's final collegiate game. He is playing in this one, which is awesome to see in an era of opt-outs. Again, no shame to anyone that does choose to opt-out and make that business decision, but Bo Nix choosing to play, just awesome to see. And what a career it has been for Nix. He'll go over 15,000 career uh, passing yards in this game, assuming he stays healthy. And has the chance to go over 150 total touchdowns as well as he's sitting at 146. Liberty, on the other side, seeking to become the second undefeated G5 team in the college football playoff era. Of course, our 2017 national champion UCF Golden Knights are the other. And G5 teams are asterisk. At Well, no, no, they're undefeated, Garrett. I don't know I'm why you're putting an asterisk on it. I don't like it. <laughs> The G5 teams, uh, what you can't put an asterisk on, are four and six straight up in the New Year's Six games in the college football playoff era. So they've been competitive in a lot of these matchups. The spread 16 and a half points in favor of Oregon as it stands right now. What are you guys thinking about this one? Spread feels high to me. Uh, I, I think Liberty has some starters on defense that have uh, that have opted out either for the draft or have transferred. So I think that certainly hurts, but uh, Oregon also has their fair share of guys that are missing in this one. So I think this is a close competitive game. I think you look up and late in the third, early in the fourth, and you go, oh, Liberty's only down by three, uh, something like that. I, I do think Oregon wins. I think the talent advantage is uh, is certainly worth noting, um, and Oregon is one of those programs that I think is headed to, um, is going to be on jet fuel here in the next couple of years, but um, I think Liberty keeps this close. So I'll take Oregon to win, Liberty to cover. Maybe they lose by 10. I do not think Liberty will keep this close. I think that this is the Bo Nix moment. I think we're going to get to say, you know, good night, sweet prince to his career in college. And and honestly, Bo Nix has won a fan over here. I, I <laughs> pretty vocal critic, you know, a couple of years ago. And obviously yeah. I think most people were. He's no good. He's kind of a gunslinger and he's got some moments and he had that little runaround thing at Auburn where he kind of just kept the play alive kind of looked like Johnny Manziel okay oh yeah fun and then you know career kind of flamed out he was done he was I mean his career was over and then you know Lanning went up there and took a chance on him at Oregon and that was probably Dan Lanning's best decision to date uh, is to take a chance on Bo Nix because Bo Nix is absolutely 
pulled that program up out of the the deep end and has put them back on the stage as they're entering the Big Ten. Um, I think obviously he's going to hit the fifteen thousand for the career mark. I think he hits the one fifty. It's just you know four total touchdowns in this game. I think he has more than that. I think he's going to put on one of the uh, all-time bowl performances in this one. I just don't think Liberty stacks up. They're a good team. Um, I just don't think they stack up with the team who was, you know, a couple of plays, you know, and, and at the end of the game against Washington, just a few plays away uh, from being in the playoff or at least, you know, really making a push to be in the playoff. Who knows what the committee would have done. But, uh, I, look, this is a very good Oregon team um, who probably should be in that conversation. And, you know, this end of the season, they get to kind of do a little little feel-good party, wrap it up on a high note, and take Oregon to win a big game by a big margin. I'm right there with you, Garrett. I don't think this one's going to be particularly close. It will be. I think it could be an entertaining first half, but Oregon will pull away in the second half with Bo Nix setting some records along the way. I'll take the Ducks to win and cover again. Probably one of my highest confidence points of the year, probably around 38 to 40 on this one. Guys, college football playoff semifinals, New Year's Six Bowl games previewed, done. We're excited to watch these alongside you guys. Let us know in the comments who you're picking to make it to the national championship game. Don't forget to like this video and subscribe to the channel. If you're new here, tell tell a friend. Let them know that you found a great college football podcast to end your 2023 and start your 2024. We'll be back on Sunday with a great preview of the Sugar Bowl. Mitch had a fantastic interview with Sam Con Jr. of The Athletic. Make sure to tune in to that one on Sunday. And when we'll be right back to react to all the happenings on New Year's Day. Stay on the lookout for that. Until next time, for Mitch Mason, for Garrett Turney, I'm Trey Reeves. We'll see you later. Gracious, yeah. how about that?